0: Hello, everybody. My name is Kevin Virga, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Devin D'Agostino. Devin, it's good to see you.
1: How are you? Good to see you, too, Kevin. I'm doing well. How are you? Great.
0: You're vaccinated. Can that become public knowledge? Is that okay to say?
1: Sure thing. I am a teacher, so I am now fully. Vol- fully vaccinated there you Vully go <laughs>
0: that's wonderful
1: fully vaccinated yes very excited little to no side effects i felt a little sick for a day and then it was gone um much worth the price of admission i guess um Just how much <laughs> yeah. did you pay for it well price of admission like price of admission to vaccination lifestyle does that make sense
0: oh yeah. that that vax life Vax Okay, well, I'd like to touch back on Vax in just a moment, but we have a very special guest to introduce, Erin Kiernan. Erin, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. How are you?
2: It's a pleasure to be here, Kevin and Devin. I'm doing well. I've been enjoying the talking heads more than I ever have in my life, so I'm very excited.
0: That's wonderful news, and that means that in just a few seconds... Myself, Devin, and Aaron are all going to stop making sense. And what that means is every episode, we choose a new Talking Head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music. Where we answer such burning questions as, who took the money? Who took the money away? Where? Where is my common sense? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large automobile? All this and more coming up on this episode of Devin and Kevin and Aaron Stop Making Sense. This week's episode, Take Me to the River. thoughts. This is a fantastic song. Erin, you chose this song, so Mm -hmm. I'd like if you feel comfortable, to start with you. Maybe your background on Talking Heads, what you feel about the song, why you chose the song, anything that comes to mind.
2: Okay. My background on the Talking Heads, up until a few months ago, was virtually non-existent. I was in a play once, and... Sugar On My Tongue was the the background music during one of the transitions between scenes. So I was aware of that song. I mean, I've heard Talking Head songs, yes. I'm not, you know, a recluse. And But recently um, I've come to know them a bit more and you sent me that playlist. So I got to know them a bit more through that. Why I chose this song, I looked at the lyrics of a lot of the songs on the list that you gave. And like the English major I am, I thought that this had a lot of um, potential to be analyzed like you might analyze a poem or something like that. So yeah, I think I picked it because of the lyrics. I don't necessarily think that it was the one that I found the most jammable. It was more lyrics for me.
0: I, I don't know why, but I wasn't expecting the lyrical qualities of the song to be the driving force. But that means I just have something to learn and a, something more to appreciate with the song. So that's really fantastic. Devin, do you have any thoughts, initial thoughts? on the Well, song? just
1: responding to what Aaron said, it's interesting that you picked this song based on the lyrics because this is kind of new for us, too, in that it's a Talking Head song, but the lyrics weren't written by the Talking Heads. So this is a cover of the 1974 Al Green song by the same name, Take Me to the River. I'm interested to see how we take this because usually we're interpreting David Byrne's lyrics and I feel like since we listened to so much Talking Heads, we've sort of gotten a feel for maybe where his songs go, where his lyrics go. It'd be interesting to interpret an Al Green song through the lens of David Byrne and the Talking Heads. Um, and yes. I'm really glad you cho- chose it.
2: Me too.
0: Erin, did you know the Talking Heads version or the Al Gre- Green version first?
2: Which came first? Definitely the Al Green one. And I didn't know it for that much longer than the Talking Heads version. The reason I knew the Al Green version first was because I've recently gotten very into The Sopranos. And I don't know what season it is, but it plays a very big role in one of the episodes of The Sopranos, which maybe we could get into later. Sure. But yeah, then (laughs) I was listening to the playlist you curated. And then as I was listening to this song, made the connection between this and that Sopranos episode. And I didn't. I didn't realize it till like halfway through the song. And then I was like, this is the one I must. Oh,
0: halfway through the song. Yeah. Interesting. I'd like to put that statement on, on, on the shelf and then maybe take it back down and unpack it a little bit when we get halfway through the song, which is a part of the song that I really like. Okay. So Devin, any, any maybe place to start diving into the song itself?
1: Yeah, so I actually found a quote from David Byrne on the song and thought maybe we would start with this. So David Byrne says this, there were at least four cover versions of the song out at all the same time, and us. More money for Mr. Green's full gospel tabernacle church, I suppose. A song that combines teenage lust with baptism. Not equates, you understand, but throws them in the same stew, at least. A potent blend. All praise the mighty, spurton Jesus.
0: Wow. Oh my god. Devin, this is exactly the phenomenon that I'm talking about of grounding me in my thoughts. Because I was so worried about bringing those two qualities up. Of equating this religious imagery of baptism and purity with teenage lust and sex and I was worried about bringing those two together even though for me it seemed like it was so clear in the lyrics but I just felt nervous about it similar in a way that I was nervous about breaching sugar on my tongue for its sexual qualities but I appreciate that Byrne himself and also it seems Al Green it's widely considered that is the lyrical nature of the song Erin, you said you were really interested in the lyrics. Did you read it in that way or did you have any other interpretations of the lyrics of the song?
2: I would say I definitely read it that way the first go around. And yeah, I think that it is pretty clear. I mean, a lot of the images and allusions there are just, there's certain words that you're like, oh, this has got to be about this or that. Not that it's not open to interpretation, but I think that there's a pretty clear at least surface-level interpretation of it.
0: Yeah, well, let's dive into some of the lyrics and get, get thinking about them. I don't know why I love her like I do. All the changes you put me through. Take my money, my cigarettes. I haven't seen the worst of it yet. I want to know that you'll tell me. I love to stay. Take me to the river. Drop me in the water. Well, while I was reading that, I felt like I read it wrong. Because there are two versions of the song, plus live versions of the song. Burn said there's four cover versions of the song. And the Talking Heads and swapped out some lyrics from the Al green version. So, did you all have the same listens of those initial lyrics? Did I say anything wrong? Or did you notice any differences from the green opening verse from the Talking Heads verse?
2: Yes, I I personally noticed some differences. I actually listened to Al Green's version and looked at the lyrics and then I think the live version. And one glaring difference is the Al Green one starts, I don't know why I love you like I do. And the talking head ones that I found was, I don't know why I love her like I do. You, her. You,
0: me, sushi, hibachi. Um, sorry, that was a local commercial for us hibachi. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do love, I like that you bring that up because I love diving into Burns' use of pronouns in songs. And it's amazing how just the swapping out of you for her or her for you can really change up the interpretation of a verse. I like in the Al version how it stays consistent. I don't know why I love you like I do. After all these changes you put me through, you stole my money and my cigarettes. And then another change, And I haven't seen hide or hair of you yet, which seems right off the bat, much more sexually forward than the head's verse of. And I haven't seen the worst of it yet. Hide or hair? What? I I don't know. Hide is like skin, right? And hair. It seems like he's saying, you put me through all this work. You changed me. You took my money. You took my cigarettes. And I haven't gotten to see any of your body from all this work I did. Hide and hair. Am I reading that? wrong or do you have the same interpretations
2: i actually had a quite different interpretation of that i think maybe in both versions when i see um you because it is in both versions even though in the talking heads one they include the pronoun her as well i feel like the you is god in a lot of cases and so in the first verse of the al green song i don't know why i love you like i do after all these changes that you put me through you stole my money and my cigarettes and i haven't seen hide nor hair of you yet the way i interpreted that was mad at god like i don't know why i love you like i do or am supposed to all these changes that you put me through changes i'm thinking puberty um we could get into that later and then uh you stole my money and my cigarettes i'm still unclear about how i'm gonna interpret that line But I haven't seen hide nor hair of you yet. That also to me seems like, hey, God, I'm supposed to love you, but I don't even see you tangibly in my life. What's that about? I haven't seen the worst of it yet. I think it's in this verse, they're saying, I literally don't understand these impulses that my body is having that you're like forcing on me because I'm growing up and aging and I'm a human. And so I'm forced to have these uh, like carnal urges. (laughs) And I anticipate it's only going to get worse with time, but it's really uh, difficult, especially when you're trying to like, if they are talking to God, like be, you know, God fearing.
1: Aaron, I'm so glad you brought it here because I didn't know if it would be best to like save for later on or bring in right off the bat. But I too interpreted it as almost a relationship with God and talking to God. And I do want to get back to the puberty point because I didn't originally make that connection with the sweet 16. But I don't know why I love you like I do or love her like I do. It could both be God, right? All the changes you put me through, like taking money, cigarettes, giving up things that you would have to give up if you're very religious, if you're living aesthetic lifestyle, depending on your relationship with God, the changes you have to go through. As we continue through the song, there's definitely like undertones of a sexual relationship with this person they're singing to. But... And we're going to stop making sense right off the bat here. There's actually, maybe it's a sexual relationship with God and there's a historical precedent for it. So I feel comfortable saying this St. Teresa, who was a medieval saint. And the reason I know it is there's a famous sculpture by Bernini and you can look it up. And basically the only things that stick out are it's St. Teresa being pierced by this spear from an angel, if I remember correctly. And it's her face in this expression of ecstasy and her body is completely melted away. Because a lot of people read her original record of her interactions with God, and she described it almost, and many historians have said this, like she's going through an orgasm or it's an orgasmic experience. Sacrilegiousness aside, (laughs) because she is considered a saint, and her um, recordings of these experiences I think are accepted by the church, it could be this dichotomy between someone going through puberty and being pulled away from religion, but it could also be like someone in this very intimate relationship with God. And I think it's um, pertinent to mention, too, that Al Green was a very religious person and eventually became a pastor um, after his girlfriend died by suicide, later returned to secular music. But he is a pastor.
0: Mm. This is this is really interesting to me. And it's a moment, uh, everyone's favorite moment in any episode, which is Kevin checks his own biases. And in this segment, Kevin checks his own biases and that I realize, Aaron, when you bring in this first line, And this is important, the pronouns, is that in Al Green's version, I don't think the pronoun her is there. Maybe it is much later, but definitely not in the first verse. So Talking Heads introduced that primarily. Now, since I hear the Talking Heads version first and have her in my mind, and then go the Al Green, I'm projecting a female um, recipient of these lyrics and that a male singer, whether it's Al Green or David Byrne, are singing that they love you that you put me through changes, and I haven't seen hide or hair, or I haven't been through the worst of it. I projected some sort of female archetype as the recipient of those words. But then Kevin's bias comes in, and that makes it inherently sexual. And although we said that Byrne clarifies that it's a sexual or like pubescent aspect, for some reason, I was thinking that this singer has like some sort of expectation that He's talking to a woman and he's expecting sex from them because they put so much work into changing themselves to please them that he was expecting some sort of relationship to blossom. So I was thinking that it was like some sort of nice guy syndrome where he was like, oh, I put all this change for you. Like, look at all the changes you put me through you took my money and my cigarettes and like I got nothing out of it. Just check myself there. And especially now that Green might be singing to God. I mean, I just feel so bashful and bad about my like really raunchy interpretation.
2: I wouldn't feel bad about it. I mean, there's a lot of imagery in here, but I, I don't think that my interpretation is at all removed from sexuality. Like I think that's definitely present in here, no matter how you interpret it. So don't worry.
0: Thank you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, (laughs) like we're talking about St. Teresa and a lot of these medieval saints actually, they express their relationship with God through sexuality. So it was almost a form of expression, like especially when you're in these nunneries and it was actually an, an environment for women to be expressive and to not be necessarily have to answer to a man or a husband they had priests of course, but this was a very expressive environment. And also I think um, that, cause that was something I was thinking about with this song is can we get a different, are we interpreting Al Green's lyrics? Are we interpreting the talking heads interpretation of them is it even possible or are they exactly the same song? I didn't notice these um, difference in the lyrics which is pretty cool. And we talked about Burns um, take on the song, that it's combining teenage lust with baptism, and I think he tried to make that explicit, but I think Al Green's might be a little more ambiguous.
0: Yeah, I Mm -hmm. like how, and Aaron, you really opened up Al Green's version a little bit more for me, and that (laughs) since he keeps the you ambiguous in the first verse, he also keeps the chorus, it's seeming much more openly religious with purity and washing away of sin imagery. Uh, more than Talking head. So Al Green goes into, take me to the river and wash me down. Won't you cleanse my soul, put my feet on the ground, which I think of baptism, washing away original sin, John the Baptist dunking Jesus in the river, and then how all Catholics need to be baptized to join the church. Well, on the talking heads version, take me to the river, dip me in the water, washing me down, washing me down. No mention of a soul, no mention of cleansing, which keeps the algorithm version a little bit more pure, a little more purely religious for the time being and talking heads a little more raunchy, a little more sexually innuendo filled.
2: I would agree. I think um, with that chorus there in the algorithm version, when you were talking about, won't you cleanse my soul? To me, it really hammers home the interpretation that I originally had, which is I have these urges and it's really hard to um to follow them and feel okay in my religion. But then again, it's really hard not to follow them because I am a faulty human. The Talking Heads chorus, I almost got this idea that the talking heads version the chorus is like begging to be cooled down I think it's still about um, maybe these like desires and I'm really trying to avoid saying (laughs) horniness over and over I (laughs) I'm trying not to but you know what I mean Um, and I think that here I saw the chorus as like cool me down from this these insane desires that I have as a human and less about like cleansing my soul And it reminded me of this um, (laughs) old, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's a satirical article. And I don't think I knew this when I originally read it back when I was maybe in middle school or something. (laughs) But it's about this couple who gets married and then despite the fact that they've been married for over a year they're trying really hard to remain abstinent as they did prior to their marriage because they're christian again i think it's satirical anyway i found the article again and (laughs) a quote from the article uh it's talking about what the couple does when they start to get those you know sexual urges what they do to continue to remain abstinent a year and a half or whatever into their marriage. And the quote is, (laughs) Darla breaks away to spray cool misted water on her face. John eats a whole raw potato to take himself out of the mood. (laughs) One, that's really funny. Again, I think it's satirical. But two, we've got that water imagery here again. Cool me down. Help me get rid of these human urges that i just can't combat on my own
0: yeah i've heard that in slang terms of like someone needing to take a cold shower to like think things over and get someone off their mind it really does it literally constricts the blood flow and limits it to just the vital organs of the heart and the brain and there's just (laughs) like scientifically i think there's some backing there but That's true. There is really nothing
1: less sexy than a raw potato. (laughs) A whole raw potato. (laughs) A whole one. Yeah. Wow. Poor John. No, it's interesting because now I'm taking the Talking Heads. I mean, also contextualizing it on the album. It's more songs about buildings and food. So it's a very secular, mundane album. And what if this song? What if they take take me to the river? Take take me to the river. I guess that makes sense. And Al Green, a very religious song, and converted to something completely secular. And it is about someone struggling with these urges and going through puberty and maturing and relationships. But I'm looking back at the lyrics and once we take out, just switching, taking out the you and the hide and hair and a little more of that ambiguity and grounding it in absolute things that we can see. It could be just interpreted purely in the sense of like secular or relationship, someone's love of someone else. Um, I wonder if that was deliberate on their part. And I wonder if it was meant to contrast with Al Green's song, which I think is imbued with a lot of religion. It's almost like they're taking out the ingredients. I feel like they could be taken as two separate songs, and then together they do com- complement each other very well.
2: It's interesting that you say that it maybe by taking out some of those words, they have made it secular. Maybe he wasn't even referring to his own version. Maybe he was referring to the Al Green one. But yeah, it's interesting because I didn't I didn't get nearly as much of a religious vibe from the Talking Heads version as the Al Green one.
0: I'd like to go off this and maybe bring in maybe a little more confusion here because I feel a little bit more confused by these next verses that now swap pronouns while Talking Heads had her and female imagery in the first verse and al green didn't now they switch so in the talking heads version he says i don't know why you treat me so bad think of all the things we could have had while al green says i don't know why she treated me so bad look at all those things that we could have had al green introduces she later than talking heads while talking heads now just keep the neutral you but since they introduced the her earlier i personally assume that they're continuing to talk about the same woman but another interesting thing where i don't know if it's a version difference or maybe just the version of the lyric sheet that i'm printing off but the next line and the talking heads version i have love is an ocean that i can't forget while al green has love is a notion that i can't forget my sweet 16 i would never regret so ocean love is an ocean seems a little bit more poetic and keeps with the spiritual imagery but that's in the secular talking heads version while love is a notion seems more secular but i have that in my al green version that's supposed to be more religious so it seems like all this stuff that we just established about one being secular and about a woman or at least lust and the other one being more religious about god seems to have just flipped on
1: its head i just want to pick up on two things you said because it's so cool Firstly, just the pronouns, that one starts with you and moves to her, and one starts with her and moves to you, and how it totally changes it. If you is first and then we have her, then it's two separate people. But if it's her and then it's you, then it could be one singular person, so that's really cool. The Talking Heads version came out in 1978. Al Green's came out in 1974. I'm just wondering how widely available lyrics were, since obviously they didn't have access to the internet to look up the lyrics of a song. And even there's the question of whoever found the lyrics of the song, did they get the precise lyrics? But is it possible that when the Talking Heads were transcribing the lyrics, they misheard Notion and got Ocean instead? So little changes like that. What if none of this stuff was deliberate, but just accidental because it sort of sounded like that?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I actually have on my version of the Talking Heads lyrics that I printed out, Love is a Notion as well. But it's actually very interesting to me that you brought up Ocean and wondering if I can bring in the Sopranos right now because it's quite relevant. Perfect timing. Let's do it. Perfect timing. Okay. Oh, spoilers. Hmm. How do I handle this?
0: Fast forward, um, just like an ambiguous amount uh, of time. And like when you hear music again, listener, then you can safely come back into the episode.
2: Okay, so you probably have heard of Tony Soprano, the protagonist, the anti hero of the series. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's a mobster. That's not really a spoiler, but a big spoiler. He happens to kill his dear friend, Pussy Bompincero, because Ooh. Pussy Bompin Sarah? One more time. Pussy Bompincero? Got it. It turns out Pussy is, oh God, how many times am I going to have to say this? Pussy is a rat. He rats out his friends who are, you know, criminals. He's wearing a wire. They find out he's not that good at hiding it. I mean, he hides it for a while, but then they find out. They take him on this trip out into the ocean on Tony's boat. And he kind of knows what's up. He figures that they know that he was wearing a wire and... We can kind of all tell that this is the end for Pussy. So he dies. They're in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, Not middle. That would be insanely far from New Jersey. They're just, you know, a bit of ways out into the Atlantic Ocean. They drop him overboard. Um, A few days, weeks, I'm not sure how much longer later, Tony has a dream about Pussy. He feels a lot of regret. He feels a lot of guilt because he killed one of his best friends but of course he had to because he was a rat and that's you know that's mob code Mm -hmm. so he has this dream it's really great with the sopranos you can peek into tony's head often anyway he has this dream and pussy is talking out of a dead fish head at a market he's talking to tony sometime after that he goes to (laughs) the bada bing the strip club where he and his friends work in the back they're they're not they're not on stage they're uh they're conducting business in the back the bartender he sees this little fish head at rite aid that sings take me to the river and then tony sees it and he has a flashback to his dream flips out goes out and starts beating the bartender over the head with it so you can tell that he's like really really affected by this he just keeps being plagued by this fish. His daughter gives him the same exact fish for Christmas and he has to pretend that he's okay with receiving this fish, but we know that he's not okay with receiving this fish because it reminds him of Pussy Bomb who he dropped in the ocean. So there's a lot of things I'm thinking about here. I'm thinking about the different kinds of water and what different kinds of water symbolize. First of all, Pussy's dropped into the ocean, not a river. Instead of water being about cleansing and rebirth here i think it's more about death and guilt it's also a like really good example of tony's anti-heroism because he's seen as morally gray here like yes he kills someone but he's struggling with it and i think it's doubly symbolic it reminds him of pussy's body in the ocean and the dream of him as a fish and it symbolizes tony's own need to repent and be cleansed and the fact that he's consumed by this guilt
1: well let me start by saying this a running theme of this show is that I'll bring up something that I've never seen before and try to explain it. So the fact that you've actually seen it and have a firsthand account is excellent. This is, you're already at a good start. So that was perfect. I want to take a couple different things. So it was interesting that you mentioned about the fish and the sopranos because when I was looking through the Wikipedia page for Take Me to the River, they mentioned that it was one of the few songs sung by singing fish. I don't know if that was after The Sopranos or before. Maybe that's why he keeps getting as a gift. Is that coincided with the release of that?
2: Yes, I believe it did.
1: Okay, so that's interesting. And then I wanted to bring in that, because this idea of like someone being plagued by a ghost of a person they murdered, then that ambiguity, the moral ambiguity, the anti-hero. If there's any book on the Devin and Kevin Stop Making Sense reading list, it's 100 Years of Solitude. The catalyst for Jose Arcadio Buendia leaving his town and founding Macondo is that he was cockfighting and Prudencio Aguilar attacks Jose Arcadio because he says he's impotent and how the fact that his wife Ursula is still a virgin and they haven't had a child yet. And Jose Arcadio Buendia murders um, Prudencio Aguilar. He takes a spear and he like throws it into his neck. And Jose Arcadio Buendia, (laughs) and I'm saying all three names because there's so many different Jose Arcadios Buendias in that story. Um, And Ursula, they're plagued by the ghosts of Prudencio Aguilar, walks around their house every night with um, this hole in his throat. And he's looking for it. Very interesting. He's looking for water to clean it and cleanse the wound until eventually they just have to leave the town in respect of Prudencio's ghost. Like, we'll leave. So you don't have to live with this pain anymore. You don't have to live with our reminder. Jose Arcadio Buendia is not necessarily the hero of the story, but he's definitely not the villain. So there is this moral ambiguity Prudencio did insult his honor and he was justified by the town in murdering him but still he's plagued by this person's murder and has to leave because of the guilt of it.
0: I do like this trope of guilt because I also have a piece of media that I might be bringing up later in the episode that revolves around guilt and festering guilt especially but to make it maybe more my, my response is simple if I was the creator of the fish singing toy i would change the lyrics much like talking heads did to take me to the river dip me in the water flushing me down flushing me down because when a fish dies you flush it down the toilet a nice tube of water to send it to the great beyond that seems to be a fitting end a cleansing and ritualistic end to most fish in people's houses um but i don't know if in the if they made that lyrical change. Erin, could you confirm or deny that?
2: As far as I know, no. But I am curious, have you ever flushed a fish down the toilet? Either of you?
0: We had in college, my freshman year, I had three roommates and we had like a quote unquote illegal fish. And by illegal, I mean it just like was against the dorm rules. But we had it for months and his name was Jeb. (laughs) And we we had Jeb for months and we really took good care of Jeb. And then, like, in May, like, right before we all left, our, my roommate broke his ankle playing Ultimate Frisbee. So the RAs came into the room. So eventually, Jeb gets confiscated, brought down to the residence hall office, where he stays there for days. And we are petitioning the RAs to give Jeb back. He's safe in in the dorm, but we understand. Eventually jeb isn't looking too good and the ra comes and calls us down and he's like hey jeb's not doing too good and i'm like what the hell are you talking about you took jeb you said he'd be okay here and he's like i think he has to go he pretty much did fish hospice like he went back to our dorm and jeb was on the verge of death and we fed him calf lettuce which was his favorite <laughs> meal uh, that we put <laughs> in his bowl and he wasn't eating he was just kind of twitching around and we like the only being that i watched be alive and then stop being alive in my life is jeb like i saw jeb die and like was alive and then was no longer alive so like all the people in my life grandparents like other household pets that i've had celebrities everything that of death around me i've never watched make that transition except for jeb and it was a little startling now at this point in the story I'm not sure why we brought this up. Oh, you ask, have I ever flushed a fish? So yes, kind of in protest, but also in the respect that I think Jeb deserved was that we scheduled a funeral for Jeb like the next day in the residence hall. So we had like maybe 15 close friends show up to like the communal bathroom and our friend read a Bible verse that he thought was fitting. And then we like sung a hymn and then we flushed Jeb down the toilet and we kind of got in trouble from the RAs because they thought it was inappropriate. It was this fine line between truly respectful and truly disrespectful to the establishment that I think killed Jeb. The RA industrial complex killed Jeb and I will stand by that. And I think we gave him the, the moving on ceremony that he deserves.
2: Okay, so it ended with the flushing.
0: And it ended with a flush, but I'd like to think that it didn't end with the flush. In reality, it just, it really just began life after death begins with the flush.
2: Whoa.
1: He gave us a lot. And I wanted to start by saying that this episode is dedicated, dedicated to the loving memory of Jeb, Jeb the fish. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're out there, this is for you. Also say on the topic of fish, I know as a child, I definitely had fish and then I definitely didn't. And where they went, I can only assume, was down the toilet, because I don't know how else we would have disposed of fish bodies. Um, Also, just another reflection, I just made the connection while Kevin was telling the story about the fact that the fish is singing, take me to the river, because it wants to be put back in the water. So I'm sorry if I was 10 minutes behind, but if anyone in the audience was confused about it, it now makes sense to me. It wants to be back in the river.
0: It kind of, it's kind of terrifying. It's no wonder it's triggering to Tony Soprano. Like, it really is a fish pinned on a wall saying, please take me back to the river where I could be released. Kind of like the character asking for some sort of respite from this middle limbo state of life and death.
1: Kevin said something about this fine line between religion and sacrilege, right? Having a funeral for a fish and singing hymns and taking lines from the Bible. And I think it's very relevant to this song because, again, we have this fine line between religious devotion and sort of, what does David Byrne say? Teenage lust, right? So this dichotomy between teenage lust and baptism. And is it sacrilegious to talk about religion in this way? Is it sacrilegious to combine these two things? Just like, is it sacrilegious to have a funeral for a fish?
0: The very tightrope balance of walking between praise and sacrilege fascinating Okay, I I need some time to think. I think we all do. So this has been a great start so far. Let's take a short break and we'll be back with more. Stop making sense in just a moment. Devin, I think you turned your camera off. So now Erin's on the left for me, and Devin here on the right.
2: Oh, you don't. You're not in it.
0: I turn my screen off more most of the time.
2: Oh, I but, can see all three. We're in a nice yeah. triangle.
0: Nice. I just get—I mm-hmm. just think I'm so handsome that I like will lose track of what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm looking at
1: myself.
2: <laughs> Maybe I should turn mine off too. Sure.
1: We keep it as an audio medium because we can't distract our viewers by, with Kevin's <laughs> face. It would be too much.
0: Enough about how handsome I am. Um back to the show welcome back everyone I have I have a Devin and Kevin die. <clears throat> I have a Devin and Kevin and Aaron die but instead of rolling for it I'd like to set the scene do you all agree to those terms and conditions
2: I agree yes
0: good 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 okay so here's the scene guess How I'll put
1: this done? die away whatever <laughs> out for <laughs> throws out
0: the window hits someone they die I have a
2: um, d20 oh we oh, have
1: wow. to
0: use, can you just roll that just to give the illusion like I just rolled for it? Sure. If we get a run, if we get a one, then we don't do the rest of the episode. It ends right here. But we if have we to get a twenty,
2: we don't ever end the episode.
0: We'll do oh, a part God. two. So if we get a twenty, we'll do a part two. If we do a one, we end this episode and we just like can't <laughs> go any further. Okay.
1: <laughs> all right everything
0: else we do the the rest of the episode i'm not waiting on this <laughs> yeah
1: lost the headphone
2: 16. okay
1: all right Good. for the best <laughs> all right,
0: and so
2: you got no 16. one wanted two of these and no one wanted zero of them either
0: yeah so here's the scene i'd like to see so erin you just got a new nice apartment uh maybe in new york city where would you like to move in like what's a nice location
2: Let's go with Greenwich Village. Fantastic.
0: Okay, so you just got a nice a choice. multi-bedroom apartment in Greenwich Village with like a nice living area. You're all moved in, but like all the stuff like just got new, all right? Maybe some things are in boxes, but you got plants and everything set up pretty well. Hmm. So you just invited me over to like just show you, like show me new apartment just like hang out maybe we're just stopping in you're gonna give me a tour and then we'll like go get drinks to meet up with some more friends Devin you're the ghost that has had no reprieve and (laughs) haunts Erin's new apartment Um, and you can decide the dynamic that you two have all right and the scene begins now
2: hey Stu, welcome i had my camera on in the hallway and i told
0: you we should have installed a doorbell (laughs) Hey, sorry is this a bad time is someone here
2: no no one's here don't worry just come in i'll give you a tour and then we can go hit the town sure
0: uh shoes on or off shoes on (laughs) on,
2: it's off who said that (laughs) um that was just my stomach
0: okay hungry me too
1: do you really want to be one of those houses
0: uh, is that like the radiator? I This is actually a pretty nice place, actually. I see you got the futon, a nice um, bush. <laughs> <laughs>
1: nice. I said what? we should have gone with the bonsai.
0: <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Aaron. who the fuck is that? Like, do you have a roommate? I thought you were living here by yourself, or at least your roommates didn't move in yet. Who is that?
2: Okay. You're actually the first person I'm telling, but there is a, there's some kind of entity here and I'm waiting to get it checked out. Um, I try not to talk to it because I hear if you do that it gives it more power and I really don't want that I have a lot on my plate so what do you call the
1: conversation we had last night
2: I was not talking to you I was soliloquizing fine
1: there's a lot of roommate (laughs)
0: tension in here Um.
2: (laughs) it's not my roommate and just maybe my soliloquy was relevant to the questions that they were asking me and maybe I asked a It's few. very creepy
1: when you talk to yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're creeping out the ghost. Listen, if you're creeping out the ghost who has obviously lived here longer than you have, I think maybe we should have roommate mediations. Ask un- him what he thinks scenario. about
2: the
1: new painting.
2: What do you think <laughs> of the new painting? I really like it. The ghost doesn't. He says it's weird and no one appreciates art that's that abstract. I only
1: like impressionism.
0: It's just a red square in the left hand corner of a twelve foot by eighteen foot canvas.
1: Which I told you it wasn't deep.
0: This is a New York City apartment. (laughs) So like there's not a lot of wall space and you've chose to
1: take up primarily
0: like most of your apartment with like an abstract painting. Yeah, well well, I didn't tell
2: you how much I paid for it.
0: Well how much did you pay for it? Too (laughs)
2: much Yeah too much. I mean we were gonna get new flooring but
0: I, I gotta cut in here I'm sorry ghost can you please come out of wherever you're hiding please I was behind
1: the couch the futon because we can't afford a couch Devin is obviously a normal person who's
0: your boyfriend <laughs> and like you totally moved in together
1: it's not a ghost at all
0: Jerry what the hell are you doing I thought you guys broke up what are you doing here I wow. told
2: Jerry if he was gonna ghost me he'd have to act the part
0: <laughs> nice <laughs> nice Uh, Guys, listen, we've been over this. We've known each other for a long time. We're all fine roommates. And then you guys started dating. I said, maybe it's not the best idea. Then you guys moved out. You got your own place. You two break up. Aaron finds her own place in Greenwich Village. Start a new chapter jerry you're here pretending to be a ghost so what's i just the deal? want to
1: point out before we go any further with this bit that we're getting into dangerous territory because usually we end when one of us dies but you just brought me back to life
0: well that's the question is where is the end we thought that the end would be death but obviously based on the fish that we flush life obviously happens after death can ghosts die can a relationship ever die if the other two people don't move on
2: if they're not moving on what you've got to do is you've got to get a medium in there and you've got to have them coax them into the great beyond and honestly jennifer
0: that's why i'm here i'm not here to get drinks there's no friends there's no plans They're not there's not even a bar called triangle heads please take a seat i need to talk to you guys about this
2: is that okay if we we all sit on the futon because that's all we have yeah Can I take the all... sheet off
1: my head yes
2: yeah, please <laughs>
0: We're sitting sure. in the futon. It's really small. I'm in the middle, but like I can't put my arms to my side, so I <laughs> kind of have them to the front. And we're all facing And we're all
1: facing that red painting that I can't <laughs> stand. I'm in I, this is not you let him take off his shoes. I said I wanted to be a shoe apartment. I said I wanted a couch. I said I wanted a bed. I would you want a shoe that apartment had something on
2: it. Guys, cuz I want to be those people <laughs> Where we make do you people want... take
1: off their shoes. This should be a fun, welcoming environment.
2: Do you want dog waste on your floors? I thought flooring was important to you and that's why you are so mad. I spent all that money on the painting.
1: I don't care what we do to these floors. I wanted new floors. These floors are
2: garbage. Fine, when we get the Look new floors, floor. then we'll be shoes off.
1: <sighs> Guys,
0: this is an absolute nightmare. The communication is non-existent. You're all bickering and arguing, but I think that jerry and jennifer you guys can be a great couple i think you have some ghosts here but i think you also have some ghosts in here in your hearts so i'm gonna end this session the way i end every single one of my sessions and i need you guys at the same time to say the thing that you've wanted to say to the other for so long but have kept it in and festered like a ghost in an apartment so on the count of three i need you both to just say the thing that you've so wanted to say are you ready one two three and let it all out say it i actually I like don't the painting. love
2: you Fuck.
0: am two totally different levels here
2: um well actually now that i know he likes the painting that changes everything i'm back in love baby
1: let's do it screw the floors shoes off everybody
0: <laughs> we're getting married okay i'm gonna i'm gonna leave see you later <laughs> wait can you officiate no i go i trip on the shoes i left by the door fall <laughs> down the stairs i die break my neck i told you and then you should haunt the apartment apartment forever. Forever. <laughs> i like instantly terminated like a ghost well, now i'm stuck here with you guys you start arguing again.
2: yeah That's- can ghosts choose where they haunt what do you think
0: uh i don't think so
1: no, thing. right? Unfinished yeah. business?
0: Otherwise, there'd be a bunch of ghosts in, like, Cancun and the Bahamas. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: That was good, Kevin. Thank you for giving setting that fifth stage for us.
0: Yeah, I thought that was pretty good.
2: Thank you, Kevin. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you did good.
2: Wow.
0: So, um, a lot of questions got brought up there about relationships the afterlife and i do like how the Devin and kevin and erin die does give some characters maybe to jump off of and start tackling these ideas that we brought in before the break so
2: hit us kevin
0: so i'm gonna stand up for this
2: <laughs> that was kevin hitting me <laughs> ass
1: ass <laughs>
0: Just before we go further, I'd love to. I want to break down Devin saying that he wanted to have a shoe apartment where no one can take their shoes off.
1: <laughs> no, let me just clarify there. I like anyone can take their shoes off, but I don't want to be kind of the apartment where I sit when people come in and I'm like, you need to take your shoes off.
2: Yeah. Because then
1: it's like a rural apartment. You don't want to be a rule.
2: I actually do. In did reality, that. do I want? Now I'm was- just having <laughs> flashbacks to having people over my apartment and making them all line up their shoes and hang up their coats next to each other on hangers in my closet got to think about how I conduct myself because apparently no one likes that
1: don't get me wrong I'm a no-shoe apartment my bit self I want to explore a new character but now you take your shoes off and (laughs) put your coat on the rack (laughs) it's not an animal house people but (laughs) Kevin you had something to tell us
2: different from Devin my
0: bit self is different (laughs) than my bitmoji which you send in a on an iPhone, my bit self is a new alter ego that you're able to explore different shoe variations in your own apartment, which I think is beautiful. Erin, you mentioned earlier about having a revelation about the song about halfway through, which is where you found your sopranos um, comparison. And I think about halfway through the song is for me the most interesting part of the song. And it's the bridge, because I think this bridge has one of the best chord changes ever. It's just so kick-ass where it goes from the chorus of push me in the river, dip me in the water, washing me down, washing me, hold me, squeeze me, love me, tease me, till I can't, till I can't, till I can't take it no more, take me to the river. I think that's just like the coolest part of a song that just breaks through the, the vamping groove that has been established in this song. That key change is just so emotional and we feel like There's such emotion, whether it's like a religious godly emotion or a sexual lustful emotion that's like needs to get released. I think it gets released at this part of the song where the chord change happens. I think it's so cool. And I love a good chord change that's really catchy that only happens once in a song. Because I think it shows that the song is really strong and the artist knows when to use it. And you almost want to listen to the whole song again to get back to this one part. Another example is The Bridge in Something by the Beatles that only comes around one time. I just love parts of songs that only come around once and you got to catch them and appreciate them when they happen. So any thoughts on those lyrics of the chord change of that feeling? What are we thinking?
2: It's interesting because I saw basically this entire song as being spoken to God. And if that's the case, hug me, squeeze me, love me, tease me. That's an, an interesting request to a... Um, higher power and maybe that ties in with what Devin was talking about earlier with Saint Teresa who had those like orgasmic connections with God during prayer or meditation or something like that
1: yeah I mean uh, that is such a cool part because it's like this build up build up hug me squeeze me love me tease me till I can't till, can, till I can't till I can't take it no more and then it just sort of releases but yeah I just thought uh, it's a really cool part and it goes with that sort of that lust, that tension and that final release and that final just satisfaction at the end.
0: I did notice that there's a, a slight change in the lyrics, at least from the lyric sheets I have. In that Talking Heads version, it's hug me, squeeze me, love me, tease me, while Al Green is hold me, love me, please me, tease me. So Al Green has please me and Talking Heads has squeeze me which is a little weird and I guess maybe could be attributable to the two different interpretations that we're having of the two different songs where Al Green brings love me sooner and squeeze me and tease me might be a little bit more rambunctious and I keep using the word raunchy. (laughs) I think it's just a good word to describe this one.
2: I actually think that please me is the most suggestive of all those.
0: Yeah, or tease me, which is in both.
2: Please me reminds me of Please Please Me. Can I even say that? Or are we going to get sued? Just kidding.
0: Just for saying the title of a Beatles song? Well, I just said something <laughs> earlier. So I think if we're getting sued, it's already too late.
2: Oh my yeah. God, I just got
1: handed to Summons. Guys, they heard it. That's it. We're off the air. So fast. Cancel it. and the episode. Was so fast. <laughs> no, just as we blend and like blur the line between. I feel like that fine line blur, blur the line between song and what is not, a, which song is which I thought maybe we could stop making sense and I could bring in um, another angle to this conversation. So I want to start with a brief story that I read about that I thought was really cool. And it's going to bring me into a sort of almost a like concluding conversation. as We talk about Al Green's version versus the talking heads. On August 22nd, 1911, the Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre. Immediately, the museum closed down. They searched everywhere for the painting. This is a true story. I should probably have started with that. But this is a true story about when the Mona Lisa disappeared. They searched. They found the empty um, frame on the staircase. And the frantic investigation began, began. But it really didn't turn up any leads. They said maybe Picasso took it. Maybe it's in Russia. Maybe it's in the Bronx. No one had any idea where the Mona Lisa was for two years. until. An art dealer reported it being stolen to him, and he said the thief was Vincenzo Perugia, who's an artist who worked at the Louvre, and he worked on projects to protect museum works using glass, and then he stole the painting. He gave two different accounts, but in both cases it was pretty easy, which says something about the security of the Louvre and art in in the early 1900s, but either he dressed up as a workman, wrapped it in his smock and left, or he hid in the closet overnight and left overnight but he managed to steal the Mona Lisa. And when asked his motivation, he said, I was trying to return it to Italy, which was strange because Leonardo actually gifted it to France, he gifted it to the King of France at the time, the Mona Lisa, so that's where it belonged. But in 1932, this journalist, Carl Decker came out and said that Vincenzo didn't steal the Mona Lisa. It was actually this con man named the Marquis de Valfierno masterminded the theft and sold it six different times. So he knew skilled foragers and they made a bunch of fakes of the Mona Lisa and other pieces of art. And actually to get people interested and get people to buy it, find buyers, they would forge artwork, hang it up in museums, and then show that they could steal it back. So people could be like, oh, this is legit operation. I'm actually going to get the Mona Lisa. And he pre-sold the Mona Lisa six times and all six people received copies but which was the real one? And the question was, when the Mona Lisa was returned and still to this day, is it actually the real one or not? Is it one of those six copies? Granted, the whole story itself might be made up. It was appealing to people because like we said, um, Vincenzo's motivation isn't that interesting. And like you think if someone's gonna steal the Mona Lisa, an art thief who's foraging and creating like six different copies and we don't know which one is real or not, But there's some people who still believe because I believe in Pennsylvania or some museum somewhere in the States, there's like a copy of the Mona Lisa hanging somewhere. And some people argue that that's the real one. And the one in France is not. What was the point of this? What brought me to it? Why did I go to it? Looking at covers, because obviously this is the talking heads covering an Al Green song, or even sometimes like musicians replicate a song completely. get a complete, um, like an adaptation of it, or reinterpretations. Where do we consider it, I guess, on the scale of art? Is a copy of something still art? Is copying something and making it your own still art? Something that's done with stories a lot too, right? Modern day reimaginings of traditional stories. So I guess my question is, where does the credit belong with the Talking Heads version of Take Me to the River? Should we give it to the talking head? Should we give it to David Byrne for reinventing it? Or is it really still Al Green's song? And should it still be interpreted through the lens of Al Green, his music, what his motivations were?
0: It brings up an interesting question. If there's six identical Mona Lisas and there's no way to even know which one is right, there's still an inherent value in the original Mona Lisas because it came out of some sort of inspiration. It was thought up. And the, the act of thinking and making it initially has some sort of value that if I trace something or covered a song verbatim, while maybe it's impressive, maybe my rendition of Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen is spot on or Jeff Buckley's or Rufus Wainwright do great versions of it. But Leonard Cohen still has the beautiful creation of it. And that has inherent value, even if his voice isn't as good or his guitar playing isn't as good. It really shows that the inception of an idea is the important aspect and i just added myself because i just watched inception last night and that's i also wanted to work into this conversation so put that on a shelf
2: there is value in being the original and i think there's value in being the copy so long as you're not a true copy i think that there needs to be some kind of uh creativity on your part as well. And it brings me back to when I used to watch American Idol as a child. The judges never really appreciated when someone did a nearly indistinguishable cover from the original. They were like, "We, why would we pick you as an American Idol if you're just a repeat of what already was? Which I can understand. What is the point of being an exact copy, especially these days when there's just so many talented people in every single field. I mean, it's so easy for some people these days to copy others because they're so talented. What we really probably should be placing more value on is originality. But there's also a fine line there um, between a cover then, and if we're talking about songs, and your own song. I think sometimes. When people are doing covers of songs, they try too hard to distance themselves from the original to show that they are in fact being creative and being original themselves. So yeah, it's kind of finding the balance between being an exact copy and being nothing like the original to the point where it's like you might as well create your own song then.
0: I also think that maybe the act of covering something and also trying to make it your own which i think talking heads successfully did here brings if done correctly more value to the original i didn't know i knew of the talking heads version first and then that gave me a new al green song to enjoy and i just dug up that i have a al green record upstairs i didn't even know that so like diving into the cover version which i heard first and was actually one of the first talking heads songs that made me click through the Spotify song into the artist and was like who are these people they are pretty catchy it just brings some new value to the original which I think is important while I don't think that uh, making fake Mona Lisa's brought any more value to the original but maybe it did because it got some press for it and maybe maybe it, it just has a more of a lore behind it than it did before
2: I have a question for you guys are you ever disappointed when you find out a song that you really like is a cover? Do you feel cheated? I feel like that's happened to me a lot where I've, I've thought that this artist that I really like was the genius totally behind this piece of work. And a lot of times they're not. I mean, I'm thinking of, I'm pretty sure Dazed and Confused is a cover. Uh, Led Zeppelin is the one that I know, but I'm pretty sure that that's a cover. And then you f- you feel bad for not acknowledging acknowledging the original artist and then you're also like well darn I thought that Led Zeppelin came up with that that's a bit of disappointing
1: yeah well I'll say this because I think I did I felt that disappointment too because I always thought it was a talking Heads song I grew up with the talking heads and this was one of the songs that I listened to with the talking head so I assumed it was and then you find out that it's not it's an Al Green song it's also interesting too Kevin you said that this was one of your introductions to talking heads this song, when it came out, was one of their most popular songs. Like it hit like 26 on the charts. Before that, people knew them for Psycho Killer, but not much else. So Take Me to the River was many people's introduction to Talking Heads, maybe the song that people are most familiar with. And then you consider it's not even their song. So do they deserve that credit? But with artwork, I think we can admire someone who's able to imitate, actually with music too, we're able to admire someone for their skill. But I think it's another question of creativity. And if, as long as the song is not an exact cover, if it tries to be something else, which I think we can argue based on our conversation today, the talking heads do with um, Take Me to the River, then we can consider it. We can value it for what it is because it's not identical to Al Green's musically. We've even pointed out lyrically. And I think even the idea, the message behind it isn't identical. So if you're able to take a song and rework it, if you're able to express your creativity in some way, I think we can admire the talking heads for it while still acknowledging Al Green for his influence in the song that he created.
0: Yeah, like if if any of us just took three hours and painted the Mona Lisa spot on to the point where you could can fool even the people that work at the museum, that's impressive. You're an artist. You really have some talent for painting that you could do that spot on even though you painted the Mona Lisa, doesn't mean you painted the Mona Lisa, is obviously a difference and a a value on the exception of an idea. And we're really revolving around two topics that I feel are maybe very big, but I'd like to try to squeeze them in towards the conclusion of this episode. And the first is, can we give Talking Heads credit for this song if it was an Al Green song? And this is a more cultural and maybe sensitive topic Uh, And Led Zeppelin is in this too, especially Led Zeppelin. I think the most disappointed I was in terms of that question you asked, Aaron, is with Led Zeppelin because a lot of their songs are so spot on to black soul and blues singers from the 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, like Howlin' Wolf has so many songs that Led Zeppelin just almost took verbatim the phrasing. Granted, Led Zeppelin put their own spin on it. I mean, no one else sounded like Led Zeppelin. They were an absolute force, but they owe so much to predominantly black soul and blues musicians that came before them. And it's also odd because Led Zeppelin is known for their lawsuit that they got in with another like progressive rock band over St- Stairway to Heaven, but they don't really have any well known lawsuits for all the blues songs that they've really ripped off and <laughs> didn't credit. As writing so overall this is a large question for whether it's talking heads led zeppelin or any rock band in that white singers co-opting black music which is at the root of rock music is blues and soul music and that was pioneered by mostly american black musicians and here we come with elvis versus chuck berry or al green versus talking heads i'm not saying they're pitted against each other but oftentimes, the white acts will get more attention because of inherent cultural and racial bias in the music industry and in the audience ship. So while I have heard that Talking Heads were a really revolutionary balance of white and black music at the time, and you can see with the diversity that's on stage with Stop Making Sense and in American Utopia, it, you can't get past the fact that it's four white musicians taking music that was pioneered by black musicians. Uh, and that's just a, a thing that I've had to come to terms with as a rock fan. And I'm trying to see it as an opportunity to find new, really great musicians like Al Green, who I was uh, able to dive into through Discovering Talking Heads or Howlin' Wolf that I was able to dive into through Led Zeppelin. So I think it's important to bring up that there is a sense of privilege and a standing on the shoulders of giants in terms of this song specifically. I'm
1: glad you brought it in because I think that that's something that needs to be acknowledged with the Talking Heads because clearly they've had a lot of influence from Black musicians, Black artists. And I think there is controversy over that. And this is my take on it. I think the question is, and we can look at at it through Take Me to the River, right? Is the use of another song an example of admiration and inspiration or appropriation. So are they doing it as a means of celebrating the original piece and building upon it? Or is it simply appropriating it for their own use and their own success? And then I'd argue that it's not for us to decide, right? It's for the original musician to decide. Are they okay with someone else adopting their song? When it comes to issues of appropriation or potential appropriation, it's for those who are being appropriated; those cultures that are might be being attacked. For decide whether whether to decide whether it's acceptable or not, and that's a question I'm interested in now. And I think I'll do the research afterwards to see was Al Green okay with the cover? Did he give permission to it? Did he like it? And that might change how I feel about the song.
0: And I'd like to add something, or at least maybe give a slight pushback or rebuttal to that. Is that does the possible appropriating band they also must have a responsibility possibly even more than the original writer to take into account whether they're appropriating something culture like i don't want to place on a black musician an added responsibility on top of creating the music now to judge whether i have appropriated music if i'm covering take me to the river or another black spiritual tune and trying to make it my own and succeed from it like while i think that I do want to respect the reaction to it and see if I did it well or I did it appropriately. I also don't want to put that on that group of people to add an added responsibility for them. So I think talking heads, for example, also had this responsibility to think about it clearly. And obviously they did have a lot of um, influence and tried to do their best with uh, being influenced and, and combining music types from all over the world from different cultures into a really great act and i think they did do it well all the other examples is they did this al green song fela kuti has also been a large influence especially in remain in light and then with american utopia david byrne really actively covers this when he does when they do hell you tomb out at the end of the song they say janelle Monet wrote that as a modern protest song and he like openly said hey i know that as a white man who has a lot to learn can I cover this? Cause I think it's so powerful. And she said, yes, you can. And I think they do a fantastic job. And then I was able to find these artists through them. So it just is something I think about a lot. And um, yeah. Any other, any other thoughts on that?
2: Uh, One thing I would like to say is, well, I don't know a lot about the legality of covers or, um, or anything like that. I've honestly always been, Confused as to whether, for instance, you can post a cover on YouTube if that's okay. Maybe it depends on the original artist, but I think something to keep in mind for all artists out there, I think it's important to make sure you're not claiming a cover as your own. I don't know the best way to go about crediting the original artist, but I do think that that's important. And the fact that we're surprised that some of our favorite songs are. Uh, covers of songs by black musicians and songwriters that to me sounds bad it's it sounds to me like artists should be doing the work to make sure that their fans know where they got this beautiful art from and again I don't know how they should go about doing that but I think there's a way I mean it is it too hard to at the beginning of songs do some kind of, you know, spoken word intro about the history of it. I don't know. That's just one example of maybe how you could incorporate crediting people into your to your covers and your songs.
0: My favorite example of that is in the Nirvana MTV Unplugged concert. They do The Man Who Sold the World by David Bowie. And right when the song finishes, Kurt Cobain says, that was a David Bowie song. And I found the Nirvana version mm-hmm. first. Nirvana version first. Uh, and then also get to enjoy the David Bowie song.
1: I appreciate the perspective you guys got, because I think I came to it with a reactive approach. How do we address things that are already out there? But especially now, like Aaron, you're saying, where con- where we have so many creative people, so many musicians and artists, and we have access to all this material. We discussed like access to lyrics, right? So we have so many creative people out there, and we have such access to materials and music and lyrics and all these things. And we need to switch from this reactive approach to a proactive one, taking the step back and thinking, okay, as I adopt this song, as I adopt this music, how can I honor those who came before? How can I honor whose piece there is originally? And putting back on my science brain for a moment, it's so important in the sciences that we cite our sources, that we reference where material came from, that we don't plagiarize, which is necessary in any field. And maybe we should argue that songs and covers that use lyrics exactly are plagiarized. I still think that the Talking Heads version of Take Me to the River has something else to say and can stand alone and be its own song. But I have a greater appreciation for it once I hear the Al Green version. And I enjoy it more, too. And I enjoy listening to both of them
2: together. I will say, I, I know I just made a big statement about how I believe that artists should do a lot of work in crediting their influences. That isn't to say that we as listeners shouldn't be doing work ourselves. And so maybe it's something that artists and consumers of music have to do in tandem with one another. Yeah, I
0: think, I think that's a really great point. It seems very collective. And it seems like ideas get passed between us. And our interpretations of these songs changed over time as we had this discussion, which I think is so powerful. And that's the beauty of art. And I did wanna take off for a moment the inception that I put on the wall because I just watched that movie and I loved it last night. I think it may tie together a lot of stuff that we talked about today, which is the, important of the, of the importance of the original idea. Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the movie says how hard it is and nearly impossible it is to plant an idea in someone's head. And he says, okay, if I say right here, don't think about elephants, what are you all thinking about? Elephants. Yeah, but you know that I was the one that gave you the idea. It wasn't an original idea. So that's the whole crux of the film is going into someone's mind so deep that they leave just a very simple idea that will grow. And Leonardo DiCaprio says that an idea is almost like a virus. It can like really take over your whole life. And throughout this, Leonardo DiCaprio's journey of entering all these dream states and getting lost in various levels of conscious limbo, subconscious limbo, he starts to lose grounding on what is real. And I think that is what we're trying to decipher right now. What is the real interpretation? Is it God? Is it sex? Is it lust? Is it a woman? Is it a man? Who knows? Is it Al Green's song? Is it David Byrne's song? Is it Talking Heads' responsibilities at ours? And I just watched a beautiful video essay when Inception seems so out there and confusing. The beautiful aspect of it is how well it shows the importance of togetherness. And by togetherness, using other people around you to ground yourself in reality. And throughout the movie, when Leonardo DiCaprio is losing sight of himself, a lot of people check in on him and say, hey, are you okay? Just know that she isn't real or this isn't real. We're in a dream. And same with like when we're discussing this, where I'm like, God, is this, is this interpretation wrong? Is it bad? D- was I blasphemous for thinking that it was about sex when it might've been about God? And then you two so graciously saying, no, you're not wrong, like let's talk it through and grounding me in reality and helping find a clearer sight of reality, even though we didn't get the ultimate Mona Lisa or the ultimate interpretation of the song. It does feel grounding in the song or in this moment to like have people to experience it with and there is an aspect of putting your feet on the ground and cleansing like Al Green says wash me down once you cleanse my soul and put my feet on the ground he needs someone else to wash him and bring him back down to reality and I think that I think that's the beauty of this song is Washing something away to try to find something more true and pure within yourself.
1: Wrapping it up here, what are we going to stay hungry for, for next time?
2: Well, I'm actually quite excited to do maybe a little more homework with the music I consume. Because I rarely ever look into the history of a song or the history of an artist that I appreciate. I've always been like, oh, I'm just here for the music. I don't need to know about how it got here (laughs) and that's how I feel about life I'm like I don't need to know why I'm here um Mm. (laughs) but uh I'm excited to do a little more research and honestly maybe through that discover some more artists um the original artists like a lot of maybe um black r&b um early rock and roll artists that I've Maybe not had so much experience with before, because I have been on the hunt for new music. So I'm I'm excited about that. That's a pretty uh, tangible thing to be excited about. I think for the upcoming weeks, months, years of my life. I think it's great.
1: That's excellent. I mean, likewise, I think I'm the same. I want to do the homework now. Really look back and see these songs and where they come from. What was the in- inspiration? Because I think it really gives us a greater appreciation of it too. Seeing the Al Green song, you see the Talking Heads song in a completely new light and you can appreciate what they did with it and making sure when I put out creative things into the world that I'm giving the proper credit where it's due. While also at the same time touching on what Kevin said at the end and the lyric in the song, I'm going to just try to keep my feet on the ground and not get too caught up in interpretations and where things come from and just every once in a while I'll listen to the song for the sake of listening and enjoy
0: yeah lovely i like that too i think i'm going to continue just seeing what makes me feel cleansed when when social interactions help me feel grounded and seeing that as an act of love and an act of humanity
1: thank you aaron it was an honor to talk to you i think the places our conversation with today was so interesting and um we really appreciate what you discussed with us.
0: Thank you all so much for listening. This has been Devin and Kevin and Aaron stop making sense. We will see you next time. Stop making sense. Mm-hmm.